the institute, the Al Mahdi Institute, of course, is a traditional, uh, partly a traditional seminary as well. So a lot of the discussions which have arisen from this, I'm sure, will be very and extremely relevant to, <clears throat> sorry, to the uh, attendees of this virtual seminar. Of course, I will um, invite questions from the floor. And as I uh, mentioned before, for those who do want to ask questions, please do raise your hand um, virtually, of course, uh, by the function which is there. And once I see your hand raised, I will um, prompt you to unmute your mic and, and go ahead and ask the question. Before I do that, just uh, I have a duty to remind uh, to remind myself to tell you, Doctor um, Fusaini, there was one question whilst you were actually going on with your um, presentation yeah. that the facts and figures you pointed out right at the beginning of the uh, presentation about the, the the number of animals slaughtered and halal slaughter um, in contrast to the population. If you could make those available, um, then that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, also, I see a hand up is going, a hand up. One of our students, uh, Waji, has his hand up, so I'm going to mute myself and ask him to unmute himself and, uh, and ask the question. Salam, Doc. Can you hear me, by the way? Yeah, alhamdulillah, I can hear you. Thank you for that presentation. Uh, I just wanted to ask, so it seems uh, that electric shocking uh, the animal before slaughter, it causes uh, more pain unnecessary pain like you said um the animal doesn't die so number one what's the logic behind that and number two uh is this practiced in the uk okay yeah thank you very much that is a very useful question it is mainly used in the uk that is the the, the main method of slaughter in the uk halal as i said from the beginning halal slaughter represents so if you take small ruminants, and when I say small ruminants, I mean sheep and goats. If you take sheep and goat slaughter in the UK, halal slaughter represents 71% of the total slaughter. And out of that uh, 71%, 75% of the halal, which is 71%, will be stunned before slaughter. So that will be stunned before slaughter. If you compare it to other countries like Australia and New Zealand, which is a major exporting country to Muslim countries, all the halal in Australia and New Zealand will be stunned. Whilst in the UK, 75% is stunned. But let me just explain that in terms of the pain associated with stunning, the science has shown that when you stun an animal, the animal doesn't feel pain. That is what the science say. If you look at it from a layman point of view, you may not agree with it. But as I was explaining with the communication between brain cells, if this brain cell is communicating with that brain cell, it will pass chemicals to it. And when you pass electricity through the head, that chemical communication will be broken down. So those brain cells can no longer communicate. And if they can't communicate, that means the animal is unaware of what is going on because those brain cells are not working again. So that is the principle. And if they are not working, you cannot feel pain. So when they slaughter, the animal will not feel, feel pain. So that is the rationale. That is the explanation for why people stun. Uh, wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I, I do see uh, Mahdia has a hand up, but I just want a point of clarification before I, I ask her, well, I invite her to ask the question. On the back of what was just asked, uh, just to get it right, 
you mentioned that the bleeding of the animal when the animal is bled and you showed the video of the cow uh, being bled was the most effective way to kill. Um, so that means whilst the uh, electronic electric stunning of the brain will knock out the animal, the animal is not dead. So, yeah. it, so in terms of most effective way of killing, I am assuming you're looking at the end of life for the animal um, in terms of speed that it, it loses its life, is it? Yeah, and also blood loss. You could see from the video that the blood was oozing out. So That's right, yeah. 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 Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yes, Mandia, go ahead. Um, Salam alaikum. Thank you for that. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, you mentioned you were working on a paper on the opinions and views of Muslims. Did you find that there were many misconceptions? And if there were, what were they regarding slaughtering methods? Okay, thank you. That is a, another useful question. What I observed was that some of the questions I asked Islamic scholars was, have you ever seen an animal being stunned? The majority of them said no. They've never seen an animal being stunned. So that was a worry to me because if you live in a country where animals are stunned before halal slaughter, at least you should make an effort to go in and see what is going on so that you can then make an informed decision as to whether it's acceptable or it's not acceptable. And when I was having conversations with them, I also realized that most of them, their understanding about slaughter was just non-existent. So I, in the, in, the, in, the, in the paper, the recommendation I did was, I made there was, Islamic scholars need to come mainstream. They need to interact with scientists so that scientists will give them the scientific information to make a decision. So I'm just going to give you an example. So for instance, the, the, the vaccine that we have at the minute, many people will tell you they will not use it with no reason. Well, we, we, with, with, with information that may not be accurate. I'm not saying that the vaccine is halal, but what I'm saying is people will say they will not use it just because they've seen a social media post that is saying it, it's not good. So we need to understand things make informed decision, decisions rather than just hearsay or what we see in social media. Thank you. Uh, wonderful, thank you for that. And as I expected, we have uh, a number of questions um, uh, from this. Uh, one of the questions was, of course, to ask for Dr. Fusaini's email address, which I, I can see has come up on the chat feature now. So I wanted that. And, um, Whoever wants from the attendees, of course, can uh, email uh, Dr. Husseini and ask him for the slides or for the, for the stats that you had mentioned earlier on as well. I'm sure uh, that can be done. Um, the next question um, is from our, another student of ours. I can see a number of hands up, so we'll go according to who put their hand up first. Uh, Owen had his hand up, so please go ahead on unmute your mic and ask the question. Yeah, thank you, Doctor, for your presentation. Um, I just had a question because I don't know if you um, covered it in your presentation, but um, what's the reasoning for um, post-slaughter stunning? Because it doesn't seem uh, logical. But, I mean, what's, what's the reasoning for that, if you don't mind? Yes, well, the reason for that, I, I, I try to explain the, how it works. So if you understand the way it will, let me, let me, let me try and explain this. So let's assume this is an animal. This, this water bottle here is an animal. 
if I use, if I put uh, fire to the hand of this animal or to any part of this animal, uh, that is, is described as noxious because that is not a good experience. So that message of noxiousness will be sent to the brain. From the time the, uh, the, the, the fire touches, the animal touches the fire to the time the, the message gets to the brain, it takes a fraction of a second. It takes uh, 150 milliseconds. That is the fraction of a second. Now, when you pass electric, if you don't want the animal to feel the pain, so for instance, neck cut or whatever, you pass electricity through the brain and brain uh, electricity would destroy or disrupt brain communication. And if brain communication is disrupted, you cannot feel pain. So, as I said, so when you cut the neck of an animal, it will take 150 milliseconds for the brain to feel the pain of the neck cut. To prevent that, you pass the electricity. The electricity would take 50 milliseconds to get to the brain to destroy, to disrupt brain communication. So within, so the animal feels pain in 150 milliseconds, but the electricity gets to the brain within 50 milliseconds. So that means the animal is not unconscious before it can feel any pain. So that is just the explanation, but that is too scientific. As a layman, you may not agree with that at all, but that is the scientific explanation. Uh, great, thank you for that. We have a friend of the Institute, uh, Dr. Ali Lahilli, um, who has his hand raised. Please go ahead, Dr. Lahilli, and ask, uh, unmute your mic and go ahead and ask the question, please. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Uh, thank you, Doctor, for... Uh, sorry, I joined I joined the, the presentation late, uh, unintentionally. Um, but I have a, a much simpler question, I think. Um, so I, I, I sort of get the, the stunning and, and all these uh, uh, explanations you've given. Um, but I have a question about, uh, you know, these organizations, I'm not really sure you know about them, uh, HMC, Halal yeah. Monitoring Committee and HFA and, yeah. and all these things. And it's quite confusing as a Muslim. Sometimes you go in and, and you ask, you ask, uh, you know, what is this uh, meat? Is it uh, halal and from who? And they, they, they sort of show you a certificate, a random certificate. Um, and some of them say they're HMC certified. Some of them say HFA certified. Yeah. Would you mind, uh, if you know, uh, just giving us a very, for a lay person, uh, a very uh, simple explanation of the difference? Yeah. And, and also, um, you know, should we, if we go into a particular restaurant and he shows us a, a certificate that, um, you know, they some from slaughter from this random slaughterhouse, how confident should we be that it's it's done? You know, even if it's in, in a stun stunned way, because there are there is a a debate about stunning or not, but at least in a halal way, where there has been a Muslim in there who's observed it and recited certain verses and done in the Qibla, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you so much. Uh, so th thank you very much. Another useful question. What you need to, to, to know about these certifiers is, well, we've got HMC, which stands for Halal Monitoring Committee. We've got HFA, which stands for Halal Food Authority. 
these are the two main certifiers, but there are other ones, other, other, other uh, smaller uh, certifiers. So the difference is that HMC, which is Halal Monitoring Committee, do not accept any form of stunning. They wouldn't touch stunned meat at all. HFA, Halal Food Authority, will accept stunning on condition that the animal is not dead after stunning. So those are the differences, but it's personal opinion whether you want to, to go to HFA or HMC. I wouldn't be able to tell you which one to go for, but what, 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 I, what I understand is both systems, animals are slaughtered whilst they are alive. Although HMC will not touch stunning, HFA will touch stunning, but the stunning should not kill the animal. If you go into a restaurant, so look, I've, I've had an instance where someone told me the animal must also face the Qibla. Some Muslims will insist on that. Others are very lax about that. If you are somebody who insists that the animal should face the Qibla during the time of slaughter, you encounter problems in the UK because not all abattoirs are oriented to face the Qibla. I hope I hope that, that that is helpful. Thank you, uh, Dr. Husseini. We have um, uh, Dr. Ali Zabojani, faculty member of the institute here, also wanted to ask a question. But before I invite him, I can yeah. also see that although he doesn't have his hand up, Dr. Nizar Mirali also has asked a number of questions on the chat. I want to ask him if he does have a mic available to ask his or make his comments orally. If not, maybe we can look at the chat. I'll uh, ask uh, Dr. Nizar, do you have a mic? Yes, I'm, I'm happy to, to ask. Wonderful, wonderful. Please go ahead. Um, so, um, I, shall I not be greedy and just ask one, so I have to choose which <laughs> one of the three. Okay. Um, you demonstrated quite um, vividly the amount of bleeding that occurs if you were to cut the animal at the chest level, thereby cutting the orthobrachial junction probably, or the brachial artery. Yeah. Um, yet in Islam, it is a jugular vein at the neck that is, is uh, demanded rather. And um, so I find this rather um, conflicting because uh, I always thought the jugular vein cutting was the most effective and efficient way of bleeding. Do you have a comment on that? Yeah. So. Uh... Let me just explain this. In Islam, the, 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 the preferred method of slaughter is what we call ventral neck cuts. So ventral means putting the knife, the knife at one end and drawing it to the other side. So here in the front here, we've got what we call carotid arteries and jugular veins. So carotid arteries, they are all located in the front. And that, that is a very good way of slaughtering. However, when it comes to small women, sheep, goats, chicken is the best. If you look at cattle, in addition to those carotid arteries and jugular veins in the front, which you can easily cut with a, with a frontal cut, there is an additional artery that, long, that runs along the back, what is called uh, the vertebral artery. So the vertebral artery runs along the back. 
So the reason why I said the most efficient way is to use the thoracic artery. I, I, was, I should have clarified that it doesn't necessarily mean it's halal. But scientifically, that is the most efficient. Because if you cut the frontal neck cut of any animal, you kill it instantly. But with cattle, when you cut here, blood is still moving between the heart and the brain through the vertebral artery. So it takes cattle up to 120 seconds to die if you just do only the ventral neck cut. But if you use the chest stick where you insert the, the knife into the chest and, 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 and cut the brachiocephalic trunk, the brachiocephalic trunk is the big vessel that connects the vertebral artery and connects all the, the carotid and the jugular veins. So when you cut it, blood is no longer able to move to the brain. So the animal dies within eight seconds. But if you do this, the animal will, it will take it around 120 seconds to die. So, so brachiocephalic cut in a cattle, a large animal, is that Islamically halal? Another interesting question. Another interesting question. Many Muslims will say it's not, but it's, I know it's used in Australia. And it's the same technique that is also used in camels. Normally camels, you don't slaughter them this way. You insert the neck and the knife into the chest and cut it. So it's maybe it's something Al-Mahdi Institute needs to sort of discuss with, with scholars and, and, and get a consensus on it. My mother is like, can I ask one more? <laughs> you said uh, you were I, asking only one. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, let other, I'll, let others, I'll, I'll let others ask. Yes, uh, after Dr. Aliza Bojani has put, if there's no other question, I'll come back to you, Dr. Dinzar, inshallah. Yes, Dr. Aliza, go ahead, please. Salam, many thanks, many thanks for this um, and for this opportunity to, um, to learn and to share or, or comment. So I guess on the, just on the last issue, yeah. um, just to help, just to help remind myself, actually. So when you're referring to the um, slaughter of camels yeah. um, through the chest, that's what we typically would understand in fiqh as nahar. As yeah, opposed yeah. to the Baha, yeah? yeah. So no, I get yeah. sometimes we read it, like you said, Muslim scholars, you read these things in a book and have never seen a picture. Yeah. So, right? Yeah. So I guess the two typical categories is the Baha, which we normally associate with the Jogli yeah. Bay, and yeah. Nahar, Nahar, which is yeah. the um, brachial arteries you've just described, right? Correct. Correct. So um, for Dr. Nizar, there, explicitly it's considered legitimate for, as you said, Dr. Awag, for large animals like camels. Yeah. yeah? And um, you're suggesting that it's also the most effective way for large cattle as well, yeah? Yeah, but I'm not saying it's halal because sure, there, are, there, are, sure. there are some disagreements. Well, it's explicitly it's halal, halal yeah. for camels. Yeah, there's yeah, a particular yeah, process for nahar, which has yeah. traditionally, historically been an accepted, endorsed process and procedure. So yeah. I think just for the rest of us, it's maybe useful just to emphasise that. You're yeah. saying that you're not, um, oh, 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 you're asking the question, is the process which historically has been used for camels could it also be used for other smaller animals absolutely large animals absolutely. Absolutely. yeah yeah uh, it's a brilliant question for us to respond uh, <laughs> to right? inshallah yeah. actually the question i wanted to ask you now you've been very um, you know very clear in trying to say that you're not um you know veering into the remit of fatwa and you know and giving a juristic view and of course, as you pointed out, the juristic views or, or, or juristic opinion is concerned with a variety of issues. You know? And some of them, um, even when they're concerned with textual um, you know, conformity, you know, that interpretation of the text may vary, like the Qibla, so on and so forth. Yeah. One yeah. of the issues you flagged up was welfare of the animal, right? 
And the other thing which has clearly been discussed is speed of the ending of life. Yeah. So now from a descriptive scientific point of view, which of the methods do you think are um, most, um, you know, have the most um, yeah, effectiveness in terms of speed of loss of life of the animal and are most respectful of the dignity of the animal from the processes which you've described? Okay. If you look at, I'm just going to put it in perspective. So thousand years ago, animals would have been killed. Maybe Muslims would have killed animals at home. One at a time, maybe a day you kill one. Compare it to, the, to today, in an abattoir, I know abattoirs that kill 15 to 20,000 20, chicken in, uh, an hour. 15 to 20,000 chicken an hour. That is a huge amount. To do that, you need a system that can protect the welfare of the chicken whilst also enhancing the process. So if you want me, if you want to ask me, so for, for small ruminants, for, for, for sheep and goats, I'll say the best way will be kill one at a time, whether with or without stunning. It's, it's very easy. And all the blood vessels are here. When you cut it, the animal loses consciousness straight away. But when there are many, so many of them, it's very difficult to pay attention to the welfare of each and every one of them. So that's where stunning may come in. So it, we, 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 this, this is a huge topic that we need to explore either with, with, with scientists and Islamic scholars, but we need to put it in perspective. Where you are slaughtering, how many you are slaughtering, so that we can we can understand it, but in terms of slaughtering twelve thousand chicken an hour, mm -hmm. you cannot handle it with 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 hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Husseini. Um, there is also a question uh, asked by our, one of our graduates, um, Sajida. I can see on the chat. Before I ask her, or before we go to her question, I'll revert back to Dr. Nizam Rali to ask his second question, and then we can go back to. Uh, Sajida, if she can ask either orally or if she can't, then by chat. But Dr. Nizar, go ahead, please. Sure. So I, I joined late, and my apologies if I misunderstood. But I think what you said was that in UK, some 70 plus percentage of halal is pre-stunning. Yeah. And in Australia and New Zealand, you said 100% of the meat is halal, slaughtering is pre-stunned. Is before slaughtering, and that's majority of that meat goes to Muslim countries. Yeah. So on, on that basis, one can probably conclude that um, the majority of the scholars globally, and I'm not looking at any particular school of thought, but generally most globals, uh, most scholars globally must have accepted stunning as uh, as uh, as acceptable halal method. Absolutely, absolutely. All the countries you can think of, they import from. Australia, Brazil are the major exporters, and they all. Uh, there's no Muslim country that is not importing from these countries. However, the problem with stunning is with Europe, Muslims in Europe. We we are a vocal minority. There are so many people who are against stunning in Europe, and sometimes it's related to where the scholars are coming from. So scholars. From Pakistan, for instance. So if you go to a Pakistani mosque, it's very, very likely that they will be against stunning. If you go to 
uh, a mosque that is led by somebody from Saudi Arabia, somebody from Egypt, or somebody from most Middle Eastern countries, they will be happy with stunning. So it depends on where the scholar is coming from, and there are so many factors that that that, that play into it. But that, the majority of scholars will accept it. Muslim countries will accept stunning. Without taking too much time, very quickly tell me what is the Jewish take on that? What, what do they what do they say about stunning? Jewish, some of them accept what is you know when I was presenting, I mentioned something called post-cut stunning. So what they accept is you bring the animal, a live animal, you cut the neck, immediately after cutting the neck, you stun it. So the reason for doing that is when you slaughter it and you don't stun it, during the period of bleeding, they will still be in pain. But other Jewish, a minority, accept pre-slaughter uh, pre stun, but a minority. But the majority of them just slaughter without any, any stunning. Mother, you saw my question is short and answer is short. Can I ask one more? <laughs> uh, yes, okay. go ahead. Why not? Why not? We'll, uh, okay. I don't know. Sure. In the meantime, okay. I can figure out whether she has her mic or not, but please go ahead. Yes. Okay. So, um, I do, I do. Okay. So, I mean, my, um, my reading tells me that the, uh, considering the number of Muslims in this country and estimating the um, uh, meat and chicken consumption by these Muslims, um, Against that, the actual halal production in UK does not match that. It, that's a significant difference. Is that true or not? Or is it, um, it is. It is. As I said, uh, so I'll give you, I'll put that in perspective. In the UK, we kill around 15 million sheep a year. 15 million. Out of that 15 million, 71% will be slaughtered for halal. So... The, 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 the production is far, far more than the population. Although some of it will be exported. I, I have to point out, some will be exported. Okay, so that's reassuring. In other words, there's enough halal meat yeah. being slaughtered for the needs yeah. of Muslims in this absolutely, country. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and some exported as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, there, is, there is enough to eat, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, as promised, we'll go to a size that you can unmute yourself and ask the question, and I can see a number of hands going up. Uh, sorry, before Sajid, before you do that, one uh, issue I, I had to ask Dr. Hussain is to clarification, uh, because something that Dr. Aliyah Bojani asked a bit earlier on about the Naha slaughtering um, uh, with large cattle, and, and you mentioned with camels as well. The video you showed, and you said it's the most effective way of killing the animal within eight seconds, that was a cow was hung upside down. And then, now I'm, I'm not sure, but I can't picture 1400 years ago, even with this, of slaughter that they would have hung uh, these large cattle upside down before slaughtering in this way in which case yeah. i mean I'm, the way you've shown it it's very effective when it's hung upside down because the blood immediately drains out but if they're not hung upside down is it as effective even if it's uh, islamically allowable by text 1400 years ago it's, it's difficult with cattle to slaughter them without hanging them with, to slaughter them this way without hanging them but if it's acceptable when you do that, that is that is good. But maybe what what we could do is you slaughter it like that, then hang it immediately, so that it will it will uh, improve the efficiency of bleeding. But uh, it's gonna be difficult because cattle are very aggressive. They may kick, they may run away, and things like that. So it depends. It depends on 
uh, if that is to be done, maybe we have to tie the, the legs and all that, uh, cut it and then hang it straight away. Uh, thank you for that clarification. Sajida, go ahead, unmute yourself and ask the question, please. Thank you. <clears throat> um, thank you, Doctor, for the insightful presentation and giving us an insight on the slaughtering process. Uh, but I'm a little bit more interested in the welfare of the animals in the days leading to the slaughter. Um, and if there's a difference in opinion on how they're supposed to be fed or how they're supposed to be looked after, or is it just about slaughtering? That is one of the most important questions somebody has asked me. And the reason why I'm saying this is the majority of Muslims only care about the slaughter of the animal. Unfortunately, they don't care about how the animal is treated before slaughter at all. But we know that in the UK, when you transport chicken, for instance, as I said, millions of chicken are slaughtered for the halal sector. When you transfer them, transport them from the farm to the to the abattoir, on average, 0.4% of them will die on the way. So we call that dead on arrival. So when you when you arrive at the at the abattoir and you count the number of chicken, about 0.4% of them may have died on the way. Now take 0.4% of 1 million. That is a huge amount of chicken that are dead. That means before a chicken can die, or before, if it lets, sometimes I always try to put myself in the situation of the, of the chicken. So before a human being will die, its welfare, our welfare would have been compromised. So let's compare ourselves to the chicken. However, good question, but we don't care. We, unfortunately, we don't care. We should, but we don't, we don't look at, at way, the way animals are treated before slaughter. Our emphasis is on slaughter. But maybe Al Mahdi Institute, as an institute with, with, with connections to the uh, scholarly uh, fraternity, is something you need to, you need to start uh, preaching. Uh, you need to start making known to scholars to, to, to start discussions on it. So thank you very much. That's a useful question. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, of course, as we know from the Islamic texts as well, there's a huge emphasis put on the welfare of animals, even pre-slaughter. But as yeah. you said, that's something to work on. We have a hand up from uh, one of our guest attendees. Uh, I can only see initials MZA. So I'm not sure what the, what the name is, but if you can go ahead, please, and unmute your mic and ask your question, please. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Uh, just a quick question on uh, pre-slaughter stunning. Yeah. If, there's, if, there's, if the electricity is applied just to the head, yeah. is there any possibility of the stunning causing death? And uh, just a follow-up on that, if there is a possibility, um, the organization, the Halal um, HFA, um, when they say that they allow the stunning on the condition that the stunning does not cause death, how do they account for the possibility of death at this point? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, an excellent question. Uh, Head-only stunning, the... The possibility of causing death with head-only stunning is very, very minimal. I haven't come across a situation where particularly large animals, I work with uh, the red meat industry, so, so uh, lamb, goats, and cattle, it's very, very unlikely for them to die. However, in chicken, 
it's very possible that they may die. Chicken is possible that they, they may die. And it's going to be very difficult for the certifier to be able to identify which of them has died. And I have written a paper on it advising, well, highlighting the scientific basis on why chicken should not be stunned before slaughter. If, if I show you how chicken are slaughtered in the UK, you may stop eating chicken. It, it's, it's, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. But that, that is the reality. Yeah. Okay, thank Sorry, you. Too, that, I think I'm, I'm going to need to... Sorry? Sorry, would you be aware about HFA, how they take into account about this? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure. As I said, it's difficult. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be very surprised if somebody can show me how it's done, but I don't know how they do it. Thank you. Uh, I think most of us, me included, probably have to change our dinner plans for the next few days. <laughs> but uh, if I could ask Dr. Aliza Bojani once again to ask uh, his question. Letting me come. Thank you for letting me come back in. Um, so again, I'm, I'm going to stretch you away from the scientific, but obviously yeah. you've been thinking about these things and working on these things for many years, yeah. So yeah. Um, I think that you still have every right to speak beyond the narrowly scientific, yeah. Yeah. Um, the you know you so it, it looks like there's two. Um, so sociologically, it looks like there's two, you know, forces working opposite directions, right? So you've kind of presented it this way to say, look, there's an economic imperative or there's an economic pull towards better regulation, wider regulation of halal. There's an incentive okay, yeah. to get halal going even further in the UK. And when we look at all of those countries which have, you know, like you say, the examples of the Middle East, you know, Pakistan yeah. may be an exception, most Muslim countries, again, you know, the economic factors, and again, the factor of scale, which you mentioned, yeah. we can imagine these being really important, you know, and economic factors, which rightly or wrongly, okay, might be impacting the jurisprudential views at the end of it. Right? So um, and there are those, we can't deny it, there's that economic um, um, push to, um, you know, ease the validation or broaden the validation. But in the UK context, you mentioned that we've got this identity issue, okay, or the minority status, you kind of alluded to it, yeah? Yeah. that this minority status is making halal an identity issue. All right, okay. So this seems to me like a, um, you know, yeah, this is like, you know, we're hitting ourselves against a wall here. So on one <laughs> hand, identity wants us to maintain the difference and the special status of halal, yeah. which means increased regulation, okay, increased care, all right, okay, more difference. Whereas economic factors wants to soften those, yeah, make it more mainstream, actually, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. and then actually maybe the most important factor is that actually neither of these two is going to help us with the ethics. Both of these, Paul, are irrespective of ethics. Mm. So um, I don't know what you think about, you know, how do we inject an ethical discourse? You know, it seems to me identity is reducing, you know, the willingness for halal to become mainstream is becoming more restrictive. It's yeah. a restrictive influence. Economics is, a, if you like, a liberalizing um, influence. Neither yeah. is fundamentally ethical. You see, uh, th there's a lot we need to do in order to improve the ethical aspects of halal, whether it's certification, production, or whatever. I'll give you an example. So 
to, to, to become a halal certifier in the UK, all you need is a computer and a printer. Nothing again. A computer and a printer, you can start printing the, the certificate. And a non-Muslim cannot certify any Muslim products. So uh, another example is I was working with a British standard institution. We wanted to bring about uh, some improvement in halal certification. So they came, out, came on board and said, look, look we, we do standards. So we can help you come out with a very strong, robust standard. Many Muslims came on board and said, no, we don't want that. We don't want non-Muslim involvement in halal. And the reason for this is if there is improvement in the process, many of the certifiers will lose their status. Mm -hmm. And as you said, so because of that, they want to keep the status quo. They want to say, this is a Muslim industry. We want only Muslims to be involved, but we know there are problems with it. We need to improve professionalism and, and so many ethical components, but it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe you you need to join. You need to come come to the halal industry and, and clean it up. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, question a hand raised by uh, someone again with initials M J. Please, if you could go ahead unmute your mic and ask the question. Assalamualaikum. Thank you. Uh, my name is Musadik. Awal, it's uh, Moz. Uh, ex Asda. I don't know if you remember. How are you yeah. doing? I yeah, Asda. Yeah. How are you? You okay? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Good. Um, I just wanted to, well, uh, the question that the Sister Sajida raised, I think, about um, the, the, the welfare of animal before it gets to the slaughter point, I think it would be useful to talk about Red Tractor and how Red Tractor plays into this and what their um, ask is in terms of uh, slaughter and pre-slaughter because that's quite important for, I think, people to know um, who are not in the industry. Um, the fact that what, it, what that is required for those of you who are interested in the welfare of animals, uh, and you can Google it and read up a little bit more um, about Red Tractor. I'm not going to steal Owl's Thunder, but he can explain a little bit more. But that is important. But then the prerequisite for that, uh, while I'll let you take over and kind of explain that, that's quite important, I think. Thank you very much, Musadik, for, for I didn't realize you were here, but thank you for, for, uh, for, for bringing that up. The reason why I didn't want to go into standards and certifications of welfare is I, I didn't want to confuse people. But just on Retractor, Retractor has got a farm assurance component. So that so if you are worried about welfare, and look, this is something I try to avoid, tell people to go this way or that way. But if you are looking for welfare, if you are concerned about welfare, Retractor, look for the Retractor logo because it does provide assurance on farm and at slaughter. So it will, if, if you have time, please read about it. And if you are very worried about welfare, then consider it. But it's got the stunning component. Animals must be stunned to induce unconsciousness. Also, they've got certain standards or criteria that animals must meet on farm. Yeah. Thank you very much again, Musadik. No worries, bro. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I don't see any further hands up at the moment. Well, I did see some hands up go, go up and down. Um, but uh, if anyone does have further questions, uh, please could you raise your hand at the moment? Uh, otherwise, we will slowly bring the uh, the seminar to a close, the incredibly informative seminars we've had. If anyone else has their, has a question, please do raise your hand now. If not, then 
once again, as with all seminars, we'll uh, thank Dr. Awal Fuseni for one of the more or one of the most informative, as far as I'm concerned, uh, seminars that we've had um, and a great start to this series this semester. So thank you so much for your time, uh, for sharing your expertise, for answering the questions and uh, for being open enough to uh, uh, provide your uh, email address as well that anyone else who might have questions can get in contact with you. That's been, and on that note, also let me um, just uh, plug that in that AMI, the Almaty Institute, is actually continuing hopefully to work with Dr. Fusseini and with the British Veterinary Association and the Center of, for Excellence in Halal Compliance uh, on stunning, etc., uh, to hopefully reach better understandings and collaborate on all of these fronts. So once again, uh, thank you, Dr. Awal Fusseini, for your time, for your expertise. Thank you for all the attendees. Thank you for the questioners to making this uh, seminar extremely vibrant. Uh, and uh, we wish you all uh, happy eating. <laughs> good, good business if you haven't eaten. Right. Thank you so much. Thank Assalamu you.